Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, June 5th. 2016. The share ID for Friday, June 3rd, is 8798. That's 8798. This morning, A Vision for You presents A Race for Time Against My Mind. All of us have come to this program as a result of the suffering, frustration, and despair we experienced compulsive overeating. As real compulsive overeaters, we are bodily and mentally different from others. We have an abnormality of the body, an allergy, that once we put our trigger foods into our body, it reacts in a way that demands more of the same. And we have an abnormality of the mind, defective and suffering from an obsession, which takes us back to that which is killing us. We are victims of this mental obsession, so subtly powerful that no amount of human willpower can break it. We can't stop once we've started, and we can't stop from starting again. OA stands for the proposition that the 12 steps give us freedom from the bondage of food. The big book was written as a set of directions for doing the steps quickly and effectively. It's not a book of theory or philosophy. It offers a clear, step-by-step approach for your recovery. It enables you to really and fully understand the problem, that the only solution that will ever work with us is something that gets rid of our mental obsession, hence the urgency and the necessity of the 12 steps, because we are in a race for time against our mind. Here to speak on this topic is Terry H., a recovered compulsive overeater from Maine. Terry is committed to our 12-step way of life and carrying the message of recovery. Welcome to you, Terry. Thanks, Leah. My name is Terry H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maine. And uh, thanks, Leah, for asking me to speak today. It's always an honor and privilege to do service for Vision for You. Um, so today I'll be sharing with you some of the things that has been really helpful in, in guiding, being a step guide and a sponsor and helping someone through the 12 steps. So um, I'm going to maybe just suggest that maybe write down the pages as I go along, um, as I'll be going through the, through the book in a, in a fashion manner. Um, I picked the title, uh, Race for Time Against My Mind, because um, I just can't sit around and rely on my mind, and without a spiritual experience, I will forget the suffering and humiliation and repeat the powerlessness and the unmanageable cycle again. I will compulsively eat again. So before I start, I'd like to just say a little prayer that was given to me that I always go into with working with others or um, just being a, a, a a conduit to uh, power greater than myself. And the prayer goes, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light for those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. So I'd like to begin with what, um, you know, uh, what a sponsor is, um, because this is for the sponsee and the sponsor, and I just want to take you through some things. What my job is as a sponsor is to do with a protege 
that um that I get to work with. So I'm gonna start a little bit with um the twelve steps. So on the twelve step reads, having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps, we try to carry the message to alcoholics or in our case compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our spheres. So let's see what the big book has to say about sponsor or recovered alcoholic. It really doesn't say sponsor, but I call myself a step guide. Um, So on page 18, it says, but the ex-problem drinker who has found the solution, who is properly armed with the facts about himself, can generally win the confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, literally nothing can be accomplished. And how do how do we do that? Um, well, an effective sponsor has carefully studied Chapter Seven, working with others. So, what is my job now as a sponsor? So, there's nine different points that I just want to um, point out today in my share. And on page 90, my first job is to see that if the prospect appears to be willing to go to any lengths to achieve victory over alcohol, and that's on page 90 of the Big Book. My second job is to, um, and this is on page 92, my second job is to see if he, has a real, if he has a real alcoholic to work with. If he is not, we try to help them find a fellowship that deals with this primary problem. My third job is to give the prospect a killer case of alcoholism, or in our case, food addiction, so he will feel totally hopeless and helpless. And that's page 92. And on page 93, my fourth job is to give the prospect hope. My fifth job on page 94 to 96 is to see if the prospect is, in fact, willing to go to any lengths to achieve victory over alcohol. This is to to see if he has a copy of the big book and is willing to carefully read it, will determine if he is willing to adopt the program as a way of life. My sixth job is to stop the protege on his journey to sobriety for taking steps three, four, and five, and that's on page 96. On page 96 to 103, my seventh job is to walk with the protege and putting the remaining steps to work until he is solid, solid and living our program one day at a time. So once the protege has found a newcomer and has effectively passed this on to another suffering alcoholic, you have done your job and know the true joy of, of living, which is, which is giving, the others, giving that others may live. And that's on page 163 to 164. And then as a sponsor, I continue to look for new prospects to carry this message um, to those who are suffering and sick and dying. Um, so why is sponsorship important? So let's see what the big book reports. On page 14 and 15, it says, for an alcoholic, fail to, to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. He could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. And on page 20, it says, our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend on our constant thought of others and how we may meet their needs. Practical experience shows nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as an intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when all activities, all other activities fail. And that's on page 89. So my, my favorite one that I, I sit down with a sponsee and I read, um, because I like to get them connected to what my job is as a sponsor. So on page 180 to 8, 181, um, you know, Dr. Bob, this is in Dr. Bob's nightmare, he reports, 
I spend a great deal of time passing on what I've learned to others who want it and need it badly. I do it for four reasons. One, sense of duty. Two, it's a pleasure. Three, because in doing so, I am paying my debt to the man who took time to pass it on to me. And four, because every time I do it, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. So Dr. Bob did take the matter of sponsorship very seriously. History shows that he helped approximately 5,000 alcoholics experience the promise of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous over a 10-year period. That turns out to an average of one and a half new alcoholics every day over that 10-year period. That would certainly qualify as an intense work with other alcoholics. So it would appear to make sense if we have been restored to sanity where alcohol is concerned, or in our case, food is concerned, to follow the directions the first 100 laid out for us in the basic text, Alcoholics Anonymous, and apply the 12-step prayer as directed, which is, ask ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. So see to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. So the program of Alcoholics Anonymous works if we work it. We die if we don't. So I would like to just, um, you know, start with um, what I do with a protege. Um, when I begin, there's, you know, to take them through as a guide. And um, I always tell them that I'm just a guide that holds the lantern to this new way of life. And um, because uh, I, I'm recovered and I've been there where they are. And, um, and I have to say, you know, I love working with others. Um, so the first thing that I do is um, I introduce them to the triangle and circle. And then um, it used to be in the big book, the triangle and circle. And um, because of copyrights, you know, they, they took it, copyright, copyrights complication, they took it out. And they removed it in 1994. Um, but I, I, I just, I love the triangle and circle because it really helps the protege to um, really, really live this program to the fullest. So in the beginning of the book, in bold letters, it says Alcoholics Anonymous, and it gives us the first promise of the big book. It says the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And that's in the fourth edition. And I have them underlined recovered because it's in past, it's past tense. Um, you know, the first, hundred, first 100 have recovered and they're going to actually, you know, show us exactly what they did. So what does recovered mean? Recovered means, you know, I got well with, with necessary actions. And some of those necessary actions were doing the steps to remove the obsession of, of my mind. So what I do is I have them draw a triangle and circle, and um, I break down that triangle and circle for them because this is a really important piece for um, their recovery. So in the triangle and circle, we have down the bottom, it's, um, it has recovery, and I explain to them what recovery is. You know, recovery is found in the first 164 pages of the big book. In each part of the triangle and circle, it treats the disease. So in the recovery piece, it treats the disease of the mind. And there's 12 spiritual principles to each side of the triangle and circle. So the 12 spiritual principles of recovery are the 12 steps. So um, some of the questions that um, I'll ask them, 
you know, at the at the end when I'll share um why this is so important, um um you know, it's it's just a good uh, a good balance um, for people or for a protege if they're struggling. I always bring them back to this triangle and circle. So on the left side of that that triangle and circle, there's unity, and unity is found in the fellowship. And part of the disease that the unity treats is the body. So that would mean we go to meetings, we hear about our problem. And, um, you know, we're, we're reminded on a daily basis. Um, in the set of the 12 spiritual principles of unity are the 12 traditions. So we have recovery, the 12 steps, unity, the 12 traditions. It helps me to um, live with others inside and outside the fellowship. Um, and then on the right side of the triangle and circle is service. And service is found in carrying the message. And I always tell the protege, you know, um, you can do service in different ways, but um, you know, until you've had really had a spiritual awakening, we really don't we can't carry that message as I read in, you know, my, my job as a sponsor. And part of the disease that it treats in the service is the spirit and the set of the twelve spiritual principles of of, of service is the twelve concepts. And so I I introduced them to this triangle and circle and um as I take them through the steps, and if they struggle at any point, I'll always direct them back to this triangle and circle, and I'll ask them where they are in this triangle and circle, because the promise is, if I'm living in all three areas, I can be whole, and I'm not going to be squirrely, and I'm going to be in balance. And, you know, the circle, I always say, is the, the circle is, is a higher power, and that higher power is going to keep me in balance if I'm living on all three sides of the triangle and circle. So then I take them to, um, you know, the page uh, XI, and this is all from the fourth edition, XI, and I read to them, um, because this book has become the basic text for our society and it's helped such large numbers of alcoholics, men and women to recovery, there exists strong sentiment against any radical change being made in it. Therefore, the first portion of this volume describing the AA recovery program has been left largely untouched in the course of the revision made up for the second, third, and fourth edition. So I explained to them that this is more than a book to, designed to transmit information. It's a book to transmit an experience. So the book is going to be a textbook and a teacher to guide someone through. And then on page XII, it says, We have alcoholics. Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. So I explained to them, you know, um, the first promise, and it is in past tense, recovered, um, so that there is hope, and um, I can continue this journey one day at a time if I continue to live in the triangle and circle. On page XX, it says, of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once, remained that way, 25% sober up, this, up some, re- 25% sobered up with some relapses, and among the remaining of those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. So those are the stats of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I always like to say, you know, it's, it's, I would love to be, I would love OA to be, um, you know, that way that they were in their stats with Alcoholics Anonymous. So as a sponsor, my my, my job is to continue to work with others and, and help them get a new way of life. On page XXVIII, 
in the doctor's opinion, which you can really get someone clear about their problem in the doctor's opinion. I just love the doctor's opinion because it tells me there's five different things which I'll, I'll share with you um, at the end that um, the doctor opinion, doctor's opinion explains. So on XXVII, it says, we believe until suggested a few years ago that the action of the alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all and once having formed the habit and finally cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and they become astonishingly difficult to solve. So here it describes in step one, you know, the statement of my problem in two parts. So I have the problem of the body, which makes me powerless in the body and the behavior of a compulsive eating, which equals abnormal reaction. It gives me a craving, I lose control, and then I binge every time. On page XXVI, you know, um, it talks about the unmanageability of, of my problem. It says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it's injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the truth from the false. To them, their alcoholic lives seem the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented, unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. Drinks which they see others taken with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through this well-known stage of spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope for his recovery. So I get to explain in step one, this is the problem of the mind, which makes life really unmanageable and me powerless. We like the effect and we have the mental obsession. We lose control. We can't differentiate the truth from the faults. I get an injury list and I get restless, irritable, and discontent. So in step one, we talk about the problem, you know, the powerlessness. Um, Dr. Silkworth explains the problem in the doctor's opinion. You know, the top paragraph outlines what it is to be powerless over compulsive eating. He says that the action of the, of the behavior of compulsive eating on a, on a, um, on a, a compulsive overeater's body is an abnormal reaction. The abnormal reaction to the behavior of compulsive eating leads to the phenomenon of craving or complete complete loss of control. So there's no magic pill or treatment that will allow the compulsive eater to safely compulsively eat. So the first four chapters of the big book discuss the problem of compulsive eating. This craving is the need for more. So once I take the compulsive bite, I set off this craving and I continue to compulsively eat. I try to overcome this craving that is beyond my mental control. And they talk about that on page XX. So, um, the question that I ask, do you lose all control over your compulsion around eating once you start to get ease and comfort? The second paragraph on page 21 says, does something happen to you that makes it virtually impossible for you to stop? The bottom of 22, if you lose control once you start, you are powerless. So, on XXIX, it says, on the other hand, and strange as this may seem, to those who do not understand, 
Once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol, the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. So this tells me I'm not going to change without a psychic change. So on page 24, um, 23, it says, These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, or in our case, the first bite. Bites, therefore, setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. So the main problem for me centers in my mind. And um, there is the obsession that somehow, someday, you know, they will beat the game on page 23. On page 24 in italics is the paragraph that sums up what unmanageability is, loss of choice. We are unable at certain times to bring into the consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We, We are without defense. This means that I may get absent and be rocking along. I may get a good job, lose a bunch of weight, avoid sugars, carbs, flour, caffeine, artificial sweeteners. But one day, I won't be able to remember how terrible it felt to be broken by my compulsive eating how awful the binge was, not with sufficient force to keep me from behaving compulsively again. I am unable to manage the decision to stay stuck. So if step one is my truth, and I I cannot rely on my mind to keep me from compulsive eating, I must have spiritual help. So there are, um, uh, on page 24, it says... When this sort of thinking is fully established, an individual with alcoholic tendency, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid, and unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. So this tells me there's no return through human aid. Um, uh, the doctor's opinion also, it, it, ex- it explains um, there's five different things in here when you, when you read with a protege through, through the doctor's opinion. It tells me five things that won't keep me abstinent. And those five things are, um, uh, the first one is me, um, uh, the second one is doctors, the third one is people, meaning frothy emotional appeal, never suffices, four, human power, meaning meeting, service, or sponsor, won't even keep you abstinent, and five, the most important one, my mind. I can't stop once I start, and I can't stop from starting again. So my disease you know, wants me separated from, from you, myself, and God. So in step two, um, step one talks about, talks about the powerlessness, and it says um, on page 25, it says, if you were seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there's no middle-of-the-road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible, and if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best as we could, and the other was to accept spiritual help. So this tells me I have two choices. I die compulsively eating or I accept spiritual help. So um, there are two questions on um, 44. Um, it says, if, if a protege can answer yes to either, they are probably a compulsive eater. The questions are, if when you honestly want to, you cannot quit entirely or stay stopped, or if when using, you have little control over the amount you take, which is the craving, 
then you are probably a compulsive overeater. So we find out in step one that the compulsive eater problem is powerlessness. So if I'm lacking power, what do I need? I need power, which is step two. Um, It says on page 45, it says lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. Obviously, but where and how would we find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. So this tells me if lack of power is my problem, then what is the solution? Power. Step two, the statement of solution. How do we get it? By working the program, which gets us connected to this power that then creates the necessary psychic change. So um, we, we find on page 47, we needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself? As soon as a man or a woman can say that he does believe or she believes or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him or her that he's on his or, or her on a way. It's been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderful, effective spiritual structure can be built. So I don't have to believe in a God. I only have to be willing to believe. If it's working for a sponsor, maybe it can also work for me too. Here's the hope. So step three is a decision. We make a deal that we continue with the rest of the steps. If we are ready to make the decision to go on with the rest of the steps, we pray with our sponsor, the prayer on page 63. But before that, there's some questions that I ask a protege before we actually take the step. On page 60, it talks about the description of the alcoholic. It says, the chapter to the agnostic in our personal adventures before and after make three clear pertinent ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And C, that God could and would if he were sought. So being convinced, we were at step three which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to to God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that and what do we do? So to sum up about the steps, one, two, and three is about the phenomenon and unmanageability, um, uh, which gives us hope. So here they're talking the ABCs. A, I can't stop. I can't stop starting. B, I can't... I can't make me, you can't make me stop and see that God can and will if he is sought. So um, step three, we make a decision to solve the problem using the solution offered in this program, which is by working the rest of the steps. As we work the steps from this book, we learn how to turn our will and our life over to a God. This gets us connected to this power and causes a psychic change. So these are the questions that I ask a protege before we take step three. So are you convinced that your decision in step three is vital and crucial and could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by step four? Two, are you convinced that you are not only mentally and physically ill, but you are also spiritually sick? Three, are you convinced that when the spiritual malady is overcome, that you'll straighten out mentally and then physically? Four, are you convinced that you'll make a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in you that have been blocking you and that food is but a symptom? 
And if the protege um, gives the answers to yes uh, on all four of these questions, I ask, are you convinced after, after we take the third step, which is the beautiful prayer in 63, we take that step together. And then as soon as we take the step, it gives us clear-cut directions what to do next. Um, and then I ask, are you convinced to go back to your life and be thorough and honest considering it carefully? The other question that I ask is, are you convinced to list this inventory on paper in black and white and to be honest and willing to set these matters, these wrongs straight? And the third question I ask after taking the third step, are you convinced that you're on a different basis the basis of trusting and relying upon God, that you now trust infinite God rather than your finite self, playing the role that God assigns to the extent as God would have you and humbly relying upon God in order to match calamity and serenity forevermore. So I always like to talk about, um, I, I always share with the protege this cute little story um, before we actually um, get into uh, the work. And, there's, uh, there's, there's two, uh, there's Mr. Chicken, we'll call him, we'll call him Mr. Chicken and Mr. Piggly Wiggly. Mr. Piggly Wiggly comes to, I, I call myself Mr. Piggly Wiggly because it, Mr. Piggly Wiggly comes to a vision for you every day. And Mr. Chicken just, you know, pops in and out. So Mr. Piggly Wiggly and Mr. Chicken are walking down the street and they pass this church where there's a sign out front that says, help us feed the poor. So the chicken says, to, the, to Mr. Piggly Wiggly, we've got to do something. He says, we have to do something. And Mr. Piggly Wiggly, with more sense, says, what the heck can we do? The chicken says, let's feed them ham and eggs. Mr. Piggly Wiggly says, that's a simple decision for you, Mr. Chicken, but for me, that's a whole life commitment. So the point that was made to me, am I going to be a chicken and sit around and just lay some eggs? Or am I going to be am I going to make a whole life commitment to go through the rest of the steps because my life depends on it? So here we are at step four. It talks about, on page 63, you know, we launched out, meaning quick. Um, here's the directions. We launched out a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is personal house cleaning, um, which many of us have never attempted. Um, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. So this is where... Um, we pull out the sheets and we get busy. Um, it talks about resentment is the number one offender. Um, it destroys more alcoholics than anything else. So it gives us clear-cut directions on what to do with resentment. We set them on paper. We listed people, institutions, and principles with whom we were, with whom we were angry. We asked ourselves why we, were, why we were angry. So there's column one and two right there. And then we get to the causes, the causes and the conditions, you know, the third column, you know, the effects, what did it affect, how did it affect me? And then the most, important, um, the most important column is the fourth column, which they call, you'll hear it called the turnarounds, meaning, you know, the first three columns I've, I've pointed at you, and now the fourth column is I get, it all gets pointed back to me. So that's why they call it a turnaround, because I get to actually see my mistakes, um, and I love in in the book where it talks about um, um, it talks about you know uh, the four the four the four places where it, it asks the questions. Um, it says 
Oh, I just get there. Uh, okay. Um, uh, it says we. Uh, sorry. I'm, okay. Here we go. It says, um, here's the directions. Referring to all this again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. I always point out to a protege, it doesn't say part, it says mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? So a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other other, other man's. Um, when we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them in, before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set the matter straight. So this is where I start with a protege. We pull out the sheets, and um, I, because um, Vision Few is really working on the fourth, um, fourth step inventory, I just wanted to give you a couple of examples on on what it might look like to work with a protege. So I sit down with them. We get out the big book sheets. Um, they're very simple and very laid out, um, and it doesn't take long. I usually give a protege two weeks to complete and finish their inventory. So my first example, we'll just say his name, Bill. We'll use an anonymous name, Bill. So what was the cause? Bill, he didn't respect that I loaned him money or didn't give, didn't say anything about paying me back. What does it affect? It affects my self-esteem, my security, my ambition, my personal relationships, my sex relations, and was there fear involved? Absolutely. So here we go. I say the 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 sick man's prayer um, that is right on the sheet. It says, go to each person who's harmed you and someone and say, Bill is spiritually sick. Um, God, please help me to show Bill the same tolerance, pity, and patience I would cheerfully grant a sick friend for each and every person who has harmed you, um, themselves or someone else, in column one. So in column four, this is where I was selfish. And selfish is what did I want. My attitude, my selfish attitude, my, my, what I wanted was, uh, and my attitude, if I, if I say no, Bill will be angry and he'll hate me. The dishonest, what was the lie I told myself, or where did I go against, against myself? I was in the delusion that it wasn't okay for me to be honest with Bill. The self-seeking piece, what actions did I take to get what I wanted? I loaned him money so I didn't have to feel uncomfortable. Frightened, what was I afraid of losing and not getting? I was afraid to stand up for myself because he, he would reject me. And what are the harms? My dishonest attitude towards him. And I'm, I was also afraid that if, I, if I'm not, not needed in people's lives for something, I, I'll have, I have, I won't be wanted as a friend. So that was one of the other fears. So I want to give you an example of Mr. Brown, even though they didn't finish all the way through the columns. You know, they, they show us so, so beautifully in this column three. You know, Mr. Brown, his, his, he's, after, he's after my wife and dog. The cause, his attention to my wife, told my wife of my mistress, may get my job. So in, in the example, it affects his security, his self-esteem, his ambition, his personal relations, his sex relations. Was there fear involved? Yes. So we say the sick man, sick man prayer for Mr. Brown. So the turnaround, if we finish that, and if you were Mr. Brown, this is what it might look like. 
selfish. No one interferes with my life or tells me how to behave. The dishonesty, I'm in the delusion I had to protect myself from Brown, that he may get up get my get out he may he may be out for me. The self seeking piece, I drank too much at the office. I overreacted to the conversation with my wife. I fought with Brown at the party and punished my wife over the situation. Not doing well at work. I missed lots of days and blamed Brown for my job, insecurity. I gave Brown a hard, hard time at work. So, what are the, so where was I afraid? I was afraid to lose control of my job, my marriage. What did I want? The lie I tell myself that drives me, you know, that drives me to these illusions that I'm in the right and Mr. Brown is in the wrong. So what was the harm? Brown, by the scene, I made at the party. I caused him trouble at work. I harmed spouse for bad behavior. I harmed employer by my work and my drinking. So that was the turnaround for Mr. Brown. So then I go to, you know, we talk about the examples of the resentment, and then I take the protege to the fears inventory, which is another inventory that a process and and what that might look like. Um, so we sit down and we might have some fears off from my resentment that I'll put on to my, my fears inventory. And this is what the fears inventory looks like. I'm fearful at a friend in relapse. Why do I have this fear? She may die. So uh, it asks the question, Was my trust? where was my trust and reliance? On my infinite or my finite, finite self? It was definitely on my finite self. Did self-reliance fail me? Yes. And then I would complete the fear prayer. God, please remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. So what would God have me be in this situation? God would have me be trusting, supportive, loving, calm, letting go of the outcome, helping others, and being a power of example. So one more example of the fears. I'm fear of, I have fear of heights. Why do I have this fear? I fear of falling getting hurt. I won't be able to be able to handle the pain. Uh, I might die or the fear of the unknown. Where was my trust and reliance? Was it on my infinite God or my finite self? It was definitely on my finite self. Did self-reliance work? Um, no. Um, complete. So I would complete the fear's prayer. God, please remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. So what would God have me be in this situation? Breathing, living life to the fullest, calm, trusting, confident, secure, letting go of the income, the outcome. So that would be the fears inventory. We would discuss that. Um, I would read the clear-cut directions in the book, and then we would go to the sex conduct, which is another inventory that um, you know. Uh, that we discuss, and I give an example, and this is the example that I give. So who did I hurt? So we'll use, uh, we'll use this name, Danny. Um, he was my friend's boyfriend. Um, where was I selfish? Stealing my friend's boyfriend, cheating on my relationship, not telling my friends or just keep living in dishonesty. What was the dishonesty? I lied to my partner, Bill, my friends, about where I went and with whom I was with inconsiderate, not thinking about how I was hurting Bill and my girlfriend as my actions continued. Did I arouse jealousy? Yes. Suspicion? Yes. Bitterness? Yes. Where was I at fault and what should I have done instead? I should have respected my friend, 
turned him down. Not, I didn't have enough power. I should have prayed and gotten power from God to speak my truth, been honest, considered of others' welfare, and honored my commitment to my own relationship. So in column five, it says, was each relationship selfish? Yes. Meaning, was I involved? Yes. So it gives me some beautiful prayers here. It says, God, please mold my ideal and help me to live up to them. And then on the sex meditation on page 69, it says, God, please show me what to do about each specific matter. And then the earnest prayer on page 70. We earnestly pray for the right ideal, the guidance with each questionable situation, sanity, the strength to do the right thing. And then it tells me if sex is is troublesome, we throw ourselves into the harder in helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It inquires quietly and periods urge when to yield, which mean heartache. So then I would go, um, I would give the protege two weeks after going through the inventories and, and giving some examples so that they're clear on what to do next. Um, we would meet, set a date for, for two weeks, um, and this is, you know, um, I, I would say this is like an eight to, eight to ten weeks, maybe even 12 weeks, um, depending on the protege, on, um, on how, you know, the circumstances. Um, but I would say no longer than a 12-week process to get someone through the inventories and to um, have them finish all 12 steps. In the sex inventory, I also asked them to make a sex ideal. And the sex ideal is everything that I did in those relationships that I wouldn't do today with God's help. And that's where we, we make out a sex ideal so that if sex is troublesome, we have those prayers to turn to God and to try to do it different. So in Chapter 6, it talks about, um, on page 72, why, why do I need to admit my faults you know, by doing the inventory? In 72, it says, the best reason first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep themselves certain facts about their lives, trying to avoid this humbling experience. They have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk or went back to the food. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think the reason is that they never completed their house cleaning. They took inventory all right, but they hung on to some of the worst items in stock. So then down the bottom of of 73, it tells me why I must talk with another person. It tells me we must be entirely honest with someone if we expect to live long or happily in this world. These, um, so... It also tells me, if I cannot or would not rather do this, we search out an acquaintance for closed mouth and understanding friend. So um, if I don't feel comfortable sharing part of my, my thoughts up, it tells me, notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may be one is so situated that there is no suitable person available. If that is so, the step may be postponed only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through with it at the first opportunity. We say this because we are very anxious that we talk to the right person. It is important that he be able to keep the confidence that he fully understand and improve what we are driving at, that he will not try to change our plan, but we must not use this as a mere excuse to postpone. So we waste no time. It tells me when we decide to hear who, who is to hear our story, we waste no time. We have written inventory and we are prepared for a long talk. So um, in my experience with this is, you know, we set a time. 
to do the reading of the the fifth step, and um, it it doesn't take long. It you know it's usually a two maybe two a two and a half hour process of of reading, and then after the protege gets done reading, um, you know the steps four and five are, are just a diagnostic step to learn if. If what they told us on page 62 is true for us, that selfishness, self-centeredness is the root of our trouble, the clear-cut directions for step four are found from pages 64 through 71, and there, there are five prayers for step four, which I described in the inventories. So on page 75, we find the clear-cut directions for step five in, in the two fifth-step prayers, which are included in there. It says, we thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better afterwards, and then, of course, the fifth step promises after we've done the fourth step. And, you know, the fifth step promises, it says, we have taken the step with holding nothing. We are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We may have the certain, uh, certain spiritual beliefs, but now we believe we have a spiritual experience. The feeling the drink problem has disappeared will often come we feel that we were on the broad, broad highway walking hand-in-hand hand with the spirit of the universe. So then after we do the fifth step, we go right into six and seven. And, um, you know, it gives us clear-cut directions on what to do after the fifth step. It says, you know, we return home. We thank God from the bottom of the heart that we know him better. And then we go through our inventory. It says, taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the pages which contain the 12 steps carefully reading the first five proposals. We ask if we have admitted anything through building an arch through which we shall walk a free man. So there's some questions here to ask. When the protege has the, the hour alone, is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put in the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar out of sand? And as the protege has an hour of alone time with God and going through, back through their inventory, um, we we set if if I'm doing a phone uh, if I have a phone sponsee um, they'll take that hour and then they'll return that they'll they'll we'll pick back up in an hour and get right into six and seven and this is you know six is are we now ready to let God remove from us the things which we admitted are objectionable can He now take them all every every one of them if we still cling to something we, we will not let go we ask God to help us be willing. So the protege then takes step seven and then and then calls calls me so that we can get right into eight and nine. And eight, the difference between eight and nine is the knock on the door. Um, step eight is just a list. When we get that list from step four and anything that might not be on um, st- the step four list that I need to write down. And and there's clear-cut directions in step nine. Um, there's four types of amends. There's um, the direct amends, the living amends, the amends in kind, the amends to those who cannot be seen, and uh, the living amends. So, um, so on page 76 and through 7, uh, 83 are the directions for taking steps nine, and uh, there's four nine-step prayers there that I, I give out to the protege. And having, having carefully followed um, the path of the first 100 that is laid out for us, we now have a spiritual awakening experience and have joined the first 100 as recovered alcoholics. The ninth step promises describe that blessed event. So um, we all know what the, the ninth step um, 
promises are. And um, and then, you know, we, we share that with each other, and then we go right into step 10, which is, you know, we continue to... Um, to uh, live this way of life, and we learn in step four what to do. We continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, um, self-seeking, and, and fear. And if those crop up, you know, we ask. Um, I always say there's. Um, we ask God at once to remove them, which we learned in six and seven, and we discuss them with someone immediately, which we learned in step five. We make amends quickly in steps eight and nine, and we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help, which is step 12. And what is our code to remember? Love and tolerance of others is our code. Um, so then in step 11, I, um, you know, we, there's clear-cut directions in step 11. There's three, three parts of step 11. There's the nightly review, which we do at night. Um, we ask those questions um, we constructively review our day. It doesn't say we, we destructively review our day. The nightly review is just really um, a nightly review to see where I might have missed the mark and where I need even God, God more the next day. And so in the morning, um, there's clear-cut directions on what to do in the morning for Step 11. It says, on awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking especially asking that if you do it for us from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. And thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not know what course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought or decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that would be shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we'd be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. And then it gives us directions, um, what we do all through the day. It says, as we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show, humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, thy will be done. But we've learned that, um, that even step 11 is building my relationship with this power and continues to, to grow and um, I've learned as we go through the day, you know, we pause and ask for the right thought or action. So we learned in step, step three that we turn, you know, we turn to this, this new power. So we have the relationship, the father, the child. And I ask myself, you know, I tell myself that, you know, I will trust God that will, he will provide what I need on, on a daily basis. And then where it says I constantly remind myself I am no longer running the show, that that is the director and the actor because now God will direct my life. And then where it says, humbly saying to myself, many times each day, thy will be done. There's the principal and the agent that, will, that I will represent what God would have me be. So in step three, you know, I learned to give up my direction. I turn my will in my life over to a, to a God as I understand him. And in step, in lo- step 11, I receive God's direction. I receive God's will in my life and in the power to carry it out from God as I understand him. And then in step 12 is the obvious. I get to pass this on because now I've done the work. I'm living in 10, 11, and 12. And um, it says on page 64, we take the first action to recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. By the time we get to page 83, we have recovered. We have joined the first 100. We have been given the power that we lack to survive alcoholism. 
carefully following the clear-cut directions outlined in just 20 pages of a basic tech, um, tech, basic tech produces the miracle of recovery. We are now, we are now to start our spiritual growth, and that occurs in steps 10, 11, and 12. The clear-cut directions for step 10 are contained in the paragraph on page 84, beginning with, we continue. A running start for learning how to communicate with God of our understanding is very adequately covered on pages 86, 87, and 88. And now that we have received the power, it is our primary job to pass on to the next newcomer that God puts in our life. The clear-cut directions for sponsorship are contained in Chapter 7, which I shared in the beginning. But you won't find that 12-step prayer until you have reached the last page of the basic text. And the prayer is, ask him in the morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still, still sick. There you have it. So utterly simple, yet so garbled in our meetings. So I ask that you be part of the solution and not part of the problem. The simplest guide that I follow in working with others is, if it isn't in the big book, they don't need to be exposed to it. So I ask you to encourage courage to wait until you have a better understanding of what our pro- program is about. I have one question for you. Um, are, is what you're doing working? And if it's not, please come join us. So again, I'd like to go back to the triangle and circle because it tells me, you know, when working with a protege, these are the questions that I ask. Um, um, so the triangle and circle, um, it talks about, you know, the recovery of the unity in the, in the, in the um, service. So as a protege is done with all, in all three areas of that triangle and circle, the questions are, um, in the recovery piece, um, I ask, where am I today with my recovery? Do I take regular inventory? Am I current with, with my amends? Do I practice daily inventory, meaning prayer and meditation? Do I practice the principles in all my affairs? In the unity piece, I ask the protege, where am I today with unity? Do I have a home group that I am committed to? Do I have a commitment at my, my home group? Do I perform other fellowship service, meaning stacking chairs if it's a live meeting, um, sharing, sharing my message, um, making coffee if it's at a live meeting, Oh, what am I doing to perform um, service in the fellowship? And do I have other meetings that I attend regularly? So then we go to the service part because now the protege can carry the message. So the questions that I ask, where are you in serv- Where are you today with service? Are you actively taking others through the 12 steps? Do you seek out newcomers to be of service to? Do you take meetings into um, institutions or carry the message in some, some fashion way? Or do you make time for the still sick and suffering alcoholic? So that, the triangle and circle, I love because I always love to bring the protege back. If someone's struggling, I'll always ask, where are you in the triangle and circle? And usually what happens is if they're squirreling and they're having a hard time, it's usually one of those things are off. So I say, let's get back into the triangle and circle and bump up our program. So um, thank you for letting me share, and with that, I'll pass.
Thank you so much, Terry, for your thorough, informative, and very insightful presentation this morning. Your service is so greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Terry's uh, contact information will be given at the conclusion of this uh, recording, so stay tuned for that. And we'll get right into questions. If you have a question for Terry, you'll want to press star 1 to unmute and identify yourself, please. Hi, this is Kathy Kay. Hi, Kathy. Hold on one second. Anyone else? Questions? Esther C. Esther. Judith R. Judith. Okay, let's get started with Kathy Kay. Thank you. Thanks, Leah. And thank you, Terry. It was to hear you. Um, my question uh, is about um, after you go through all 12 steps with your protege, um, do you have a particular way you go forward with your relationship with him or her? Um, I always find that a decision point, um, and sometimes uh, a protege will want to continue meeting or talking quite frequently, and I am torn about uh, moving on to help another uh, compulsive overeater go through the steps. So I was just wondering how you think about the post-step work. Thanks, Kathy, for the question. Great question. Um, I think it really depends on the individual. Um, for me, myself, I like to, um, you know, we have the discussion that I take you through the 12 steps, and um, if the protege, because I also believe that the 12 traditions are just as important as the steps, and I will offer them that um, as, um, you know, an extra, because I feel as a sponsor, it's my responsibility to not only you know, guide them through the steps, but also through the tradition. So, you know, I will give them that option. And I also, um, after we get through step 12, um, which I didn't share in my share, I, we started um, here in Maine, we started what we call an 11-step train. And that 11-step train is to help protégés to get on board on that train. And they actually have a person that um, every two weeks so that so what that looks like is the protege will get on the train, they'll bump out their eleven step uh, their eleven step inventory with another uh, another uh, member of the fellowship, and um, every two weeks um, the person that kind of is conducting the train um, she will switch you and give the protege a different partner. So every two weeks they're switching partners, and that's been really. Um, it's, it's been a really awesome thing. It's been going on here for about uh, four years, and we, we have about 20 women on it, and it's just been such a blessing because they get to know each other, but they also get the support of the network. And um, mm -hmm. so it's more, you know, it's more reliance on others. And because my only job is to get them connected to God and um, so that I can continue to work with others. Yeah. Thank you. That's mm -hmm. great. Thanks, Kathy Kay. Esther C.? Good morning. Thank you so much for your presentation. You're not going to believe us, but I had the exact same question as Kathy. I just wanted to know what the relationship looks like post um, the 12th step because to allow more time to carry others, you know, take others to the steps. So you've answered the question. I thank you. 
Thanks, Esther. Thank you, Esther. Judith R. Uh, did you call me? I did. Thank you, Leah. Um, thank you so much, Terry. This was amazing. Um, this is Judith, like our consultant over here in Vermont, recovered. Um, how do you get your people through the doctor's opinion and Bill's story? The first, like, four or five chapters, how do you get them through that in uh, a matter of weeks? Because I tend to do it the same way we do it on the line, which is uh, paragraph by paragraph, and that takes a long time. So I would love to know how you do that. Yeah, thanks for the question. It's a great question. Um, so the doctor's opinion, I love to spend time in the doctor's opinion, and what I do, Judith, is I, you know, as I'm taking the protege through the doctor's opinion, I'm actually turning the statements into questions. Um, Excuse me, one minute, Terry. I'm going to mute the line, and you'll need to press star one again. Okay. Okay, thanks Thanks again for the question. Um, So what I do with the doctor's opinion, I spend quite a, I wouldn't say a long, long time, but I love the doctor's opinion because you can really get somebody clear on their problem and what I do is I read the doctor's opinion and I turn the statements into questions. So the protege is actually answering those questions as I'm taking them through so that they can really see if, if they really have this. And what I do with the, with the Bill's story, I have them read that on their own for identification. And then when we meet, um, you know, I have them highlight any, anywhere where they think, acted, or drank, drank like Bill, or in our case, ate like Bill. And then we'll come back together and, and maybe just go over the highlight spots. And um, it's really a simple prog- process. It's, and then what I do, too, is, you know, I bullet point through the one, one, two, and three. And um, I ask them, you know, it's not a requirement, but I ask them, you know, if they really want an in-depth, um, you know, to, to join, join us in the morning on, on, the, on the phone line with the Vision for You. So they can get that study each day if they want to go a deeper level. I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Judith. Who else has a question for Terry this morning? Star one to unmute. Hello, this is Deborah. Hi, Deborah. Hold on one second. Anyone else? Cheryl from Maryland. Cheryl. Frida King. Is that Rita? Frida. Frida. Okay. All right. Deborah R., go ahead. Good morning, fellas. Um, I just really appreciated your outline, your detailedness of how you use the big book. Uh, it's a great, um, I think of a template. Um, how did you learn that? And do you have like a cheat sheet? I've got ADD and got slidden and slow out. Unless I write stuff down, 
hard to get it all other than re-listening to the tape, which is no problem. But do you have your own cheat sheet of what you do next so that it becomes real easy to follow? Thanks, Deborah, for the question. I do. I actually have an outline on how I take a protege through um, in a in a fashion manner, um, and um, be more than happy to you know uh, share that. You know, if um, I can, I can leave my email at the end um, to to process. You know, to get, to help you with that. But yes, I do. I have an outline to uh, help somebody through the twelve steps and. Um, a pretty fast manner, but I, I don't want to say, you know, fast like in a day or a week or that, that's not what this is about. It's it's usually, you know, my experience has been it's usually um, eight to 12 weeks process because you, you, you're working on, you know, you're helping them work on their amends. And, and what I found is that, um, you know, the amends sometimes goes underneath, underneath the rug. So I, I really try to help the protege to keep on top of that because that's really where you're going to see the, I mean, we see the power of God in each step, but nine is really, it's, it's one of my, I mean, they're all my favorite shows, but nine is really where you get to see the power. Good. Thank you. I'll stay on and get that out. No. Thank, Thank you. you, Deborah. Cheryl, your turn. If everybody else could please mute, it'll help the line be clear. Thank you. Cheryl, go ahead. Good morning, Cheryl from Maryland. Thank you, Carrie, for your um, your uh, share this morning, um, taking us through that doc, uh, the big book. That was really, really good. I got a lot out of it, even though I've heard it many times before. My question is, um, <clears throat> finally made it through steps four through nine and still working in nine and living in steps 10 and 11, um, I've been trying to build a build a step ten network. Do you have any suggestions for that? Cause, you know, reaching out to people, and I just basically, you know, contact people from the list that I get on a daily basis from listening to a vision for you and Mary sending out that list, and then you know, getting to share with them and hear what they have to say, and then asking them if they're interested and building the Step 10 network. And then um, do I call these people just when I have that Step 10, which some days is, some weeks is a lot, and then sometimes not. But I was very interested in what you said about the 11-step train. Could you talk about that a little bit more, or I can get your email and contact information and talk about that later. But that's where I'm at in, in my recovery. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for the question, Cheryl. Yeah, in step 10, um, what I do with the protégés is, you know, the 11-step train, you know, it helps. And it's like you could have an 11-step train on a vision for you. If you have a network and somebody that's willing to get it together, all it is is you get, you know, some some people that are interested in um, somebody, you know, makes that list and, um, anyone that's interested, you know, that what happens with the 11-step train is um, it's up to the individual to get in contact with with the individual that they get partnered up with. And what happens sometimes is the time doesn't work out for each one, um, but they have to arrange that time among themselves. And, and when they do that, you know, they allow themselves like 15 minutes each to, to bump out their 11-step nightly review every morning, and um, it's just one of those things you, you kind of have to, you know, um, 
because everyone has a different schedule. And in step 10, um, what I do is with the 11-step train, they have, you know, if there's 10 to 20 women on it, they already have that network. And what I have them do is get a list of the women that are on the train. And um, when you have a 10-step, you just text a group text and say, I have an immediate, because it, it talks about in step 10, we immediately you know, discuss it with someone. So I just throw out a text, you know, I have an immediate, and whoever responds first, that's who I, you know, who I give my 10 step if I have one. Um, um, and, and that's really what I do um, today. And I also, you know, if step 10 for me is really about, it says we watch, you know, um, so I'm always, step 10 is really always kind of directing me to, like, turn to God versus people. But if it's really, if that resentment or the fears is really weighing on me, that's where I use, I, I utilize the group. So I ho- hopefully that helps. Yes, it does. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Cheryl. Frida Kay, your turn. Hi. Thank you so much for your uh, presentation. My question is regarding the triangle and circle that you talked about. Can you please repeat that? I, I missed the, the part about the circle. Okay. I, I introduced um, the triangle and circle to the, the protege before we even begin to get into the step work because it's just, a, it's, for me, it's a, what I found, it's a good barometer for that person as they go along. So if you if you're working... Uh, 10, 11, and 12, and you're, you're feeling off, I will always ask the protege, let's go back to the triangle and circle. And the triangle and circle, there's three areas in it, which is um, the recovery piece, which is, you know, found in the 164 pages of the big book, um, the unity piece, which is found in the fellowship, and the service piece, piece, which is found in carrying the message. So if, if I'm working with a protege, of course they can't really carry the message until they, you know, they get to you know, have their own spiritual experience in 12, but um, I always direct them back to that if they're squirrely or if they're off or if they're, something's not not going quite well. I'll just ask them, where are you in that trend? And it's usually what happens is they're, they're not doing one, one of the pieces. They're either doing, they're just the recovery piece, but they're not doing meetings, you know, um, or, you know, they're not doing service, which is, um, you know, carrying the message. They're just doing recovery piece. So that would be, they would be too, too off on that triangle and circle. So it's, it wouldn't be a wonder why that they might be a little squirrely. So. Thank you. I, and the circle, is that, you said something about a higher power with the circle? Yeah, the circle is, if I'm doing all three areas, the circle, um, the promise of that circle is I can be whole. If I'm doing all three areas, and I call the circle, that's, that's God, because I'm in good balance, and I'm living, I'm living this, this life of, you know, um, of freedom. You know, it's just, uh, on page, I think it's 26, it says, you know, um, uh, this man still lives, and he's a free man, and um, and that's where I want to be in the middle of. I want to be that whole circle, you know, because if I'm in the middle of that whole circle and I'm doing all three areas, then I can be rocketed into the fourth dimension, which the promise comes in on page 164 that we read every day in a vision for you. Thank you. Mm, you're welcome. Thank you, Frida. Anyone else with questions this morning? Mary H. Mary H. 
Deborah R. Deborah R. This is your opportunity. Final uh, invitation for questions this morning. Gray B. I didn't catch your name. A B. A B. Angela. I'm not hearing that last name. Angela. Angela. Yes. Okay. Anyone else? After Angela, anyone else? Okay, I'll take that as a no. And I'm just a request to remute yourself, please, so we can have a quiet line. And we'll begin with Mary H. Good morning. This is Mary H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Northern California. And um, Terry, I was hoping that maybe you could talk a little more about that eighth and ninth step and how you assist your protégés um, with those steps. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Mary, for the question. So when we get into steps eight and nine, um, we go we go back through the inventory, and you know you always get the harms in your in your fourth column. You know what was the harms that you you might have caused to that person, and then we talk about the different amends. There's um, you know there's, there's the direct amends, there's the living amends, there's amends in kind, which is maybe doing something you know doing in something a place of not being able to make a direct amends. Um, so that might look like, you know, if uh, going into a soup kitchen and, and giving back in that in that fashion. And then there's the amends that, you know, you can't see, which would be a great bad amends. And then, um, you know, the the, the, um, the living amends, which, you know, if you can't find the person, then we, we just, we, you know, we, we start acting different. We, you know, we change our behavior with God's help. And what I do with them is, you know, I ask them to get three-by-five cards and, um, you know, start going through their list. And on that three-by-five five card, they'll put either a plus or a minus at the, at the right-hand top, you know, meaning the pluses, they're, they're willing to do it, and the minuses, that they're not willing to do it. I have them, you know, write out their address of the person that, that they need to make the amends to, the telephone number, and, and maybe their address if it's something where they have to travel. Um, and then I'll have them uh, write out their their harms, which, you know, that they're going to actually, um, you know, make, you know, with what what they did for harms and that amends. And, and then we talk about it before they do anything. We talk about it. We discuss it to make sure that it's not going to create any more harms. And then... Um, we make a plan. Um, they call that person, or um, you know, however they're going to. I always like to say, you know, if you can make a direct amends in person, then that's our first. You know, that's that's the best way. But I know a lot of our fellowship is on on the you know on the phone, and we're we're all over the world, and sometimes it might be hard. So you know, but I always ask that person to get in contact with the person that they need to make the amends, so that the person can let them know if they're willing or not to hear it. And then um, the protege is all ready to go in to um, clean up some wreckage. And I always say we make direct amends to have direct relationships, you know, and um, I get to um, really try to clean up my side of the street and um, keep it on keep it on what I did, not on what they did or, 
You know, I never go into an amends with an excuse. Um, I go in and name the harms and and then um, I let go of the outcomes. So hopefully that that will answer this, that answers your question. Yes, thank you, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks, Mary H. Deborah R. This is Deborah from Michigan, and could you kindly just you mentioned that circle and the triangle. What were your um, key words to visualize those areas, and how would how did that thing get started? Is there one person that finds 20 people and says, do you want to do this? And then something about rotating the responsibility. Could you speak to those two, please? Okay, I'm not, I'm not clear on the question. You're kind of coming in and out. So if you can the, kind of maybe... The, the first part was the triangle, and I see the circle, God, and you got the three sides of the triangle. What do they represent? Oh, okay. So, so the three sides, uh, you know, down the bottom, you know, you put the you put the triangle in the middle of the circle, and so you'll have three sides um, of of emptiness, and you want to write in recovery in the on the bottom, unity on the left, and service on the on the right, and that's that's the three areas that I need to stay in as I continue this journey. And it's been, it doesn't matter, you know, what I've learned is it doesn't matter how much time you have, that I can always go back to this triangle and circle to see where I, where I am at. And I, I really use this as a barometer for my own, my own program because um, it really, it really keeps me in balance. By, and some, sometimes I have to really like bump it up. I have to bump up my program a little bit more, but it works. It definitely works. Okay. Thank you. And the, the the train concept, I, I get the 20 women and partnering, did they change partners every two weeks and somebody gets that responsibility for uh, yes. that? Yes, um, they have somebody that, can, I call it the conductor, and that person will um, get the list of women. I mean, it's, it's you know, start out with 5, 10, whoever's in, in, interested in that someone's willing to conduct the train and get that list of numbers, um, the names and numbers, and then um, that person will just match that person up with whoever, whoever's interested, and then every two weeks you get a new partner. So you're, you're, you're continuing to hear the truth by different, different women. And it's, it's pretty powerful. It's, it's, I have to say it's, really, it's, been, it's been such a God gift to um, be able to be a part of that. Uh, that's what really improved me. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks, Deborah. AB had a question. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Oh, this is Ray D. Thank you. Uh, go ahead. Okay. Um, I, I, when you're working with a sponsee or a protege, um, you, and you've gone through the and they've gone home for an hour, and they spent their hour really working to decide, are they ready? And they've answered all those questions, and they call you back, and they say to you, I have discovered something that is not here, and I cannot go forward. What do you do at that moment? Um, so, they, so they say that they can't go forward because they've left something out? Yes. Okay, so I have that experience, and thanks for the question. I, I have had that experience um, 
my first inventory, you know, I thought I was pretty thorough, um, which I really believe I was at, you know, the best the best of my ability. And my guide at the time said, you know, Terry, if there's, there may be something that may come up, um, and if there is, let's talk about it. And um, it didn't happen right off. It didn't happen after my hour, but it did happen maybe a couple of days later. I don't know why it happened. Maybe I, I don't, can't really remember at the time, but maybe it was because I saw somebody and it reminded me of something I needed to clean up. And all I did was, um, you know, I picked up the phone and called her and said, you know, this is this is something that I, I need to add to my inventory. You know, if it was a resentment, I'm not sure if it was a resentment or I think it was a resentment. And she said, well, let's do the inventory and get it, you know, get it out. And that's all I did. I just cleaned it up. So that may happen. And there was a couple of my, my sex conduct that I had forgotten to that came up later. And I just went back and did the inventory and bumped it out with her. And um, and that was it. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Baby. And our final question this morning comes from Angela. Hi, this is Angela. Um, I'm wondering if you're available for sponsoring. <laughs> you're so cute. Thank you for asking. Um, you can definitely call me. Okay. Um, I'd be more than happy to give out my number after the recording is over, but you can definitely call me and we can talk. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for asking. It's Irini. Irini, you trying to get in there? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> After the final question, go right ahead, my darling. Thank you. Um, good morning, Terry. Um, please share with all of us within 24 hours a day that we all have, how much time do you spend on your program? Thank you in advance. Uh, thanks, thanks, my friend. Um, so 24 hours, I am... Uh, I am pretty busy. Um, that's all I can say. I, I spend a lot of time, but I, I don't look at it. You know, I don't look at it as a chore. It's really a blessing to. Um, I have the privilege of of being an early retiree, and um, my full time job is working with others. And and I always say I have the best job in the world because um, I have the best best boss in the world because um, I get to show up every day, put my marching boots on and be a conduit and um, work for God every day. And um, and the best part of that is I never get fired. Um, I get paid in a different way. Um, I'm always getting raises. Um, and when I, when I mess up, you know, I have a loving God that always just picks me back up and, and helps me get back on the path. And um, um, and that's really, really about it. I'm, I'm, I'm a busy, busy lady, but it's, it's been a, such a blessing that I get to work for God on a daily basis. So thanks, thanks for your question. Yes, thank you, Irini, and thanks to everybody who asked questions this morning, and of course, thank you, Terry, for your loyal service and all that you do for a vision for you and Overeaters Anonymous community at large. Thank you very much. Thanks, I'm going to. My pleasure. I'm going to close from page 164, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you could do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. 
but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. Seed to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. 